Here we are, we're getting ready to start the Christmas season and kick it off next Sunday. We're going to begin a new series that's um, going to, we're going to explore throughout our Christmas holiday and we'll wrap it up on our Christmas Eve services we're excited about. It's called Thy Kingdom Come and I uh, would love for you to come and join us for that discussion over the next several weeks. So, you, you, um, you may not know that uh, there are some Sundays... Not every Sunday, but there are some Sundays that I drive home from here after services, which isn't all that far. I got like a three-minute commute, four minutes if I get stuck at the light there at Ralph Fair Road. Um, I drive home after Sunday services feeling a lot of disappointment in myself. Frustrated with the feeling that I somehow struggled to clearly explain what I'd hoped for you to understand. You'd be surprised how many Sundays that happens. Um, and last week, last week was one of those Sundays where I drove home and I thought, oh, all those words. And I still don't feel like I explained myself in a way that would have been either clear or compelling and the way that usually works is then my mind kicks into overtime and I spend the rest of the day trying to figure out what well, I should have said this and why did I do that and I could have done that better. And, and usually it's usually about Tuesday that I go, oh, that's what I should have said. That's how I should have done it. So if you were here last Sunday, we started a new series. It's just two weeks, uh, last week and today, um, entitled Uncommon Generosity. And after all the words, here's the two things that I most wanted you to understand, most wanted you to get in that first message of the series. The first one is this. I just wanted you to understand that generosity is not about money. It's almost commonly associated with money, but that is not the origin of the word. That is not the true meaning of the word. It's certainly not what the Bible describes as the definition or an understanding of the idea of generosity. You see, generosity is so much bigger than that. Generosity is really this very rare disposition or attitude about life. Generosity is really about this willingness to lavishly, and that is part of the understanding of generosity, to lavishly share whatever a person might have that somebody else could use. That generosity is not about money. It's about anything and everything that is about sharing what we have, whether that's money or something else. And so I gave you a list last week of some of the other ways in which generosity is shared. And so we can share our time. We can be very generous with our time or our talents or our skills. We can be generous with possessions that we have. Um, here's one, and I'm just highlighted a couple of that I wanted to stop on. Encouragement. Like you can be generous with your encouragement. Encouragement simply means to infuse courage into. So you can do that. 
You and I, we can be very generous with the ways that we speak to other people to give them hope, to give them confidence, get them to believe the good that could come out of a situation, to remind them that they can do it, that you're there with them. But so often, because we're not as generous as we should be, sometimes we're critical and we're judgmental and we tell people why we don't believe that they can do something. And all we have is the option is be generous with the ways that we go about encouraging people. Um, we can be generous with respect. Boy, if there's ever been a time where we could learn generosity when it comes to respect, it would be now. And particularly in a very partisan, divided sort of nation and society when it comes to politics. And the fact of the matter is that we all believe very different things and we believe them at different levels, but we can be generous in our respect by just treating other people who may believe differently, have different set of values, different sets of uh, beliefs and perspectives, that we can treat them with respect even though we may not embrace the beliefs and the ideologies and the politics that they may hold valuable or dear. Does that make sense? We can still be generous in our respect. We can be generous with help. We, here's, here's one. We can be generous with attention. There is something that I'm afraid is becoming extinct in our society. You know what it is? Undivided attention. When we look at our lives and our connection to technology, namely our cell phones, very few of us go about any minute of our day that our cell phone isn't in our hand, in it, isn't in our wallet or in our back pocket or isn't on the table next to us. And it seems like we're constantly connected to it. We can be in a conversation at lunch, having a very authentic, a very intimate sort of discussion with someone, and then it buzzes or it beeps or something flashes on the screen. And we may do just something like this. And what have we just communicated to them? That you're not as important to me as whoever that might be on that phone call or that text. But what if we could learn the art of being generous and giving people our undivided attention? To be present in the moment that we are enjoying with them, having with them. This is particularly, listen, this is particularly important when it comes to little kids. Parents, you go so far in communicating the value of your children when you learn the generosity of your undivided attention to them. Does that make sense? So we can be generous in affirmation, just saying kind, nice, thoughtful things about other people, kindness, compassion, grace. Grace is unlimited kindness. We can be generous. We can be lavish in giving people some slack, which is essentially what grace is, is not everybody gets it right all the time, but we don't have to remind them of that. We can be very gracious in our response toward the times that somebody does something that either hurts our feelings or lets us down or doesn't follow through. And so there's so many different ways that we can express generosity. That was one of the things I wanted you to understand last Sunday, okay? The second thing is I wanted you to understand is that I don't believe generosity is extinct. And I certainly don't believe that 
Christians have a corner on the market when it comes to generosity. Because you can meet people who are avowed atheists, have no relationship, no understanding, no, no interest in God, and they can be incredibly generous. And you can meet people who are devout Christians, been going to church all their life, and they are nothing but stingy in all sorts of ways, financially to how they treat other people, okay? So uh, I'm not suggesting that Christians have a corner of the market of generosity, but here's something I was wanting to suggest last Sunday is this. Christians, people who truly understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Christians ought to be the most generous people on the planet. They ought to be. They're not always, but they ought to be. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna explore a little bit of what does generosity look like in the life of a Christ follower? And to set the stage, I wanna explore something with you that I find absolutely fascinating. You guys interested? Okay, so listen. There's this idea of common generosity and uncommon generosity. So this is the idea. Lots of people are generous with their times, their skills, their money, their encouragement. You got everything from, you know, humanitarianism to philanthropy to, you know, a host of, you know, causes that people get behind and, and support with their time or their money or their energy. Then you have sort of like the middle ground where, where it's not about an organizational sort of generosity, but it's just a kind of a nature of one's heart. This is, you know, Christmas is a lot about this, the giving of gifts and, and being kind and compassionate and considerate. But what I want to explore with us is this uncommon expression of generosity. And here's, here's the uncommon generosity that I'm talking about. Common generosity is essentially driven by these sorts of motives. I give out of a desire. I just want to help. I just want to serve. I want to rescue another person from need, from some kind of hardship, from some kind of suffering. Okay, that's pretty common. When there's earthquakes, people are generous toward the victims of earthquakes. When people are going through tough times, some people are very sensitive to that and they can, commonly, they can be very common in sharing their compassion and their grace towards somebody who's hurting. The uncommon generosity that I'm interested in is this. I give out of a deep sense of gratitude in response to God's outrageous generosity toward me. That is rare. Even among the Christian community. A lot of people in the Christian community, they do this, and this is good. But when we explore the idea of generosity in the scriptures, what we're finding is that it really comes from this place. I give only because God has given so much to me. So the uncommon generosity that I wanted to, you know, get us started on last Sunday is this. Uncommon generosity is an attitude of abundance that we just recognize all the blessings that we enjoy as people of faith in a relationship with Jesus. An attitude of abundance that's eagerly shared. Like we enjoy sharing out of a gratitude for the outrageous grace of God that's been lavished on us through Jesus. So last week, I was sharing probably more than you cared to hear 
about the etymology of the word generosity or the history of the word generosity. And I thought it was fascinating when I started doing my research to learn that originally the word generosity meant of noble birth. It really didn't have anything to do with giving. It had everything to do with one station in life. The word generous originally in Latin and then eventually in French, which then became part of English language. The word had to do with one's place in society. It had to do with the nobles, you know, kings and queens and princesses and the elite class were called the generous ones. Because really in society at the time, when this word started being popular in the 16th century, there was two classes. There was the wealthy elite and there were the peasants. Peasants didn't have two nickels to rub together. They lived their lives in poverty. And then the elite, they had all of the wealth. They were the only people in society who could give, who could share anything by way of means. And so that was how they were viewed. They were the generous ones. And then eventually, metaphorically, that word became this idea of sharing generously with others. But here's what I find so fascinating about that. You ready? When we understand what it means to be a Christian, what we begin to recognize is that we as Christians, are of noble birth. A gentleman once came to Jesus under the cover of darkness because he didn't want the rest of the people in society to see him having this conversation with Jesus. And he asked Jesus some questions. One of the things that Jesus said to him is, you must be born again. And this is one of the most intelligent men in his society at the time. And this most intelligent man in society at the time said, what, am I supposed to like climb back into my mother's womb and have a do-over? And Jesus was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about you need to be born again spiritually. You need to discover the realm of faith beyond just what you can see, what you can touch, what you can taste. You need to be born again. And what we find then is all through, particularly the New Testament, is this theme of being born as a child of God where we are his sons and his daughters. So you must be born again. Now, look at this theme throughout the New Testament. He came to that which was his own. This is John talking about Jesus coming to earth. He came to that which was his own, but his own, the Jewish people, did not, did not welcome him. They did not accept him for who he claimed to be. Yet, to all who did receive him, in fact, to those of us who in the generations have believed in the name of Jesus and who he claimed to be, look at this, he gave them right, the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will. I'm talking about people who are born spiritually, a birth created by God. Look at this, Galatians chapter three. So in Christ Jesus, you are all what? Children of God through faith. 
through what you come to believe. You become a son or a daughter of God. Look at this, Galatians chapter four. So you're no longer a slave, but now you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you what? An heir. That's noble birth kind of stuff. Look at this, Philippians chapter two, the apostle Paul writes, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There's just a message right there. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. In other words, acting like children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among others like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life, behaving like children of God. I love this verse, 1 Peter. Peter writes this, you are a chosen people. You are a, uh, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people. You are a what? A royal priest. He's writing to Christians. You, you have royalty in your blood by virtue of your faith in Jesus Christ. Look at this, 1 John, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You, you're a son of God's. You, you're a daughter of God. Now, now stop to think about that. How is God most often described through the pages of the scripture. He's described as a king. In fact, he's not just any king. He's the king of all kings. Looking at the birth of Jesus, the angels announce of the baby born in Bethlehem. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, what? The Lord, the, the king. So when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we are born again. That makes us a child of God, one of his sons or daughters. And our father just happens to be the king of all, the king of the universe. We are of noble birth. So if anybody on the planet should be generous... It ought to be us when we stop to think about who our father is. That's why I think it's an uncommon kind of generosity that gives not just, not just from the desire to help, but I give because I have been so abundantly blessed to be invited into the family of God as his sons and his daughters and my father's a king. I can give from a place of abundance. Does that make sense? So here's what I want to do with the time we have left. I want to, I want to look at just three 
of the ways that a child of God is generous, okay? Now, we, we could look at a dozen, but you're not gonna sit here for that. And that'll be another Sunday for me to drive home frustrated because I just threw too much information at you, okay? We're just gonna look at three. These are three of what I would say are the most powerful. Now, you had a great Thanksgiving. You had a whole weekend of pumpkin pie. So you're in a good mood, right? Okay, so here's what I'm saying. We're gonna explore three ways that the Bible describes to be a characteristic of a Christ follower. And then really, all of us, myself included, we just have to do the math and ask ourselves the question honestly, Am I like that? Do I see evidence of those three things in my life? And and in a spirit of generosity of grace, if we see that we're lacking in one of these three expressions, that we don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to quit. We just have to do the honest work of saying, well, what could I do? What changes could I make to where that might be truer of me. Did that make sense? Okay, so I wanna take you to a couple passages of scripture where there just seems to be a trait of generosity that's described in the passage. Okay, you ready? Sit with me? All right. This is Jesus. He's in what's called the Sermon of the Mount. It's like Matthew chapter five through seven is like a complete sermon that we actually have preserved in a record of history that Jesus delivered. He talked about a lot of different topics. But here's here's one of the conversations he had in this discussion. He said, be careful. Like, you you gotta be on alert about this because it's the tendency of a human heart to not do this. Be careful not to practice your do-gooding, your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You see, what Jesus is saying is it's kind of natural for the human heart to want to show off about how righteous we are. We want to we do the good things and we want other people to know that we did them. We, we want to make sure we post that on Facebook. We want to make sure we capture some really cool pictures of us doing that on Instagram. We want to somehow fit it into the conversation that, well, I spent my weekend doing this. Okay, Jesus said, that's the tendency of the human heart. He said, I want you to be careful about it. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you need to know you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. You can get the credit down here amongst all your friends or you can get the credit from your heavenly father. You choose. And he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, which evidently was some sort of a 
historical or cultural reference, meaning evidently some people, when they went to the temple to give to the needy, they actually were preceded by trumpet players. Like, look at me. Make sure you notice what I'm about to do when you give to the needy. Don't, don't announce it. As hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, why? So they're honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Okay, that's all you're going to get is the trumpet playing. But, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that's a, a kind of an absurd um, metaphor. He, he's just saying, you keep it so on the down low that it's like one hand wouldn't even know what the other hand's doing. So that your giving may be how? In secret. Or so that your giving can be anonymous. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, I want you to go into your room. I want you to close the door. I want you to just have a conversation with your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling. Just don't keep going on and on. Um, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so, so I have Jesus on record saying some things. Here's a principle that I might take from just those examples. You ready? First trait. A child of God gives quietly. Or, or we could say it, a child of God gives anonymously. They like to share, but they don't have to get any kudos for it. You know, we have never passed an offering plate at Sibylla Creek Community Church. 25 years. Some of you are like, I've never noticed that. that that's true. Yeah, 25 years. We've never passed an offering plate. We had reasons for that. There were two reasons that were near the top of the list. One of the reasons was, is that if we were going to create a church for people who were unchurched, like unfamiliar with church or didn't like church, one of the reasons that we knew from research that they didn't like church because they always felt like church was after their money. Church was, churches always have a hand in their wallet. Every time they show up, they're asking for something. And people go, well, I mean, it's not gonna go. And so we said, well, then let's remove that as a barrier. Let's not pass an offering plate. 25 years, we've risked our financial provision by giving people the choice. The second reason, one of the, the second reason that was near the top of the list about why we were going to come so that nobody could show off. 
that nobody would have to feel uncomfortable because the, you know, the obligatory plates going by and everybody else is putting something in and so I better reach in and, and, and let's just, let's not play that game. Why? Because we just wanted, we wanted Christians to feel comfortable to give quietly. Does that make sense? So, so here's, here's the deal. The children of God, they give only for the approval and applause of one. And that's God. Ultimately, it's an expression of humility. That I recognize everything I have is from him. I simply give it back. I give a percentage or portion of it back as an expression of gratitude for his goodness toward me. Does that make sense? All right, let's move on. Second one. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Remember this. It's the law of the harvest. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows or gives generously, they'll reap generously. That's the way the law of the harvest works. Each of you, writing to Christians, We talked about this a few weeks ago. This is why I don't believe the tithe is an obligation for Christians anymore outside of the Old Testament law. Each of you should give not what the church told you to give. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. You've done some business with God to look at your financial picture and say, what what would be an adequate expression of my gratitude toward God's goodness toward me. Well, what, what would we choose to give? I love this. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't let the preacher manipulate and intimidate you into giving. Don't, don't do that. Why? God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody who's happy to give. Somebody who wants to help. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you can be generous. You'll abound in every good work. So again, I I have scripture that seems to suggest another principle of how children of God give and I would say it this way. Children of God give cheerfully, eagerly, excitedly, happy to help, happy to be a part, happy to contribute. Not because they're obligated, not because somebody's turned the screws and made them feel guilty or bad. No, we, we just, we look at what God has done to us and we decide, all right, what am I going to give back? What, is, what am I comfortable with in that I can do it without feeling like somebody squeezed me into doing this? So a child of God, understanding that they are a son or daughter of God, they, they give cheerfully. This is, this is joy. And you know where joy comes from? Joy comes from freedom. It comes from a confidence that all of my greatest needs in life are met. I'm a child of God. I live in his hands. So I, out of that freedom, I I can give what I have, knowing that my father in heaven will take care of me. 
So we give quietly and we give joyfully or cheerfully. Make sense? All right, third one. You ready? This one's a little harder. We might have to do a little more homework here, okay? Jesus, he sat down the opposite of the place where the offerings were put. So he's in the, the vicinity of the synagogue. There were places that people went to give their offerings. And he watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. People watching. Isn't it fun? Airports, shopping centers, grocery stores. Just watching people doing their thing. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's just watching. And many rich people, <laughs> they, they threw in large amounts. They, they just tossed it in like, see me? Look at what I'm giving. But, but a poor widow, which in that society was incredibly unfortunate because really only men were allowed to work. So she was living in poverty. A poor widow came and she put in two small little copper coins. They're worth only a few cents. You got the big givers and you got the one who's just, just giving a little bit. And Jesus, he, he called his disciples, guys, come here. Truly, I tell you, this widow poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others combined. Just those two little copper coins worth only a few cents was more than all the big gifts because they gave out of their wealth. And the inference here is this, you ready? They gave out of their wealth, they had plenty to give, but they also had plenty left over. They weren't really giving up anything, but, but they all gave out of their wealth, but she, she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. And she's I like that. Look at this, 2 Corinthians um, Apostle Paul's writing to a church about a church that had given. They were in an impoverished situation, but they heard of a need of another group of Christians, and so they gave. He says, now, brothers and sisters, we, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy their and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Love this. He says, I'm not commanding you. I just want you to testify the sincerity of your love by comparing it 
with the earnestness of these others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. You get it? So God's children, they give quietly. God's children, they give cheerfully. And God's children, they give sacrificially. When we give like Jesus has given to us, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's really inconvenient. Sometimes it may be that we end up with less because of the privilege that we had to be a part of something bigger than our money or our time or energy. You see, there's, there's generosity, then there's Christ-like generosity. That's uncommon because it is by nature sacrificial. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If Jesus is the example, how did he give? He gave in giving himself up for us. You see, sacrificial generosity leaves us with less, leaves us with some discomfort, some inconvenience, possibly even poverty. You see, when extremely wealthy people give, it rarely inconveniences them. But God notices when somebody gives to it hurts because it looks like Jesus to him. Does that make sense? You see, what we have to understand is that our generosity says something about our heart. This, this isn't a very important dawning. The opposite of generosity is not stingy. You know what the opposite of generosity is? It's fear. You see, the opposite of generosity is a lack of faith. Our willingness to give away is really about how much do I trust God in his promises? I mean, look at this. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And some of us go, I don't know about that. I sure like getting. But it takes an enormous step of faith to go, is it really better to give than to get? And Jesus said, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to try it? Look at this. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you go, I, do I trust that? And you will be children of the most high. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. 
Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Don't, don't judge or you'll, uh, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will forgive, be forgiven. You're like, I don't know if I trust that. Give and it will be given to you. And we go, but what if he doesn't? Will you trust me? Give and it will be given to you. And then I love this. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's like, it's like they went to the marketplace and the generous shopkeeper said, oh, you want some flour? Here, let me press it down in the bag and squeeze all the air out. So you get as much flour. In fact, let's just... The bag's overflowing. And, and Jesus is saying, if you give like that, you'll not outgive me. And we go, oh, but that seems so risky. The Apostle Paul, I've received full payment and more than enough, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent me when, when Paul was in prison. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And here's a promise. My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus. And we say, can I trust him to really meet all my needs if I give away? Psalm, good will come to those who are generous and who lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. And we go, can I trust that? One person gives freely yet gains even more and another withholds but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then a classic passage of scripture will end with this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding about how you think the economy of money works. In all of your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And we're like, will it really honor the Lord with your wealth? With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Can I trust him to really do that? That's what generosity is. It's the adventure of faith. That I'm going to trust that my God will provide all of my needs if I, like his son, am willing to sacrifice. Make sense? So as we enter this holiday season, we have a wonderful opportunity to practice generosity in a variety of expressions. So I wanna encourage all of us to consider that this holiday season, what we're gonna work on is being generous with our time, our talents, our encouragement, our affirmation, our attention, our grace, and perhaps our money. Make sense? You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. Hopefully I'll drive home today feeling a little bit more encouraged.
Hey, in your copy of the creek, you have an opportunity to share with an orphanage that we support in the country of Nigeria. And um, there's a QR code where you can go if you want to participate in our um, holiday offering that goes to resupply our resources to make sure that they have all that they need next year. So uh, please take the opportunity to do that. Well, let me ask you to stand together. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I would love to meet you. Um, I'll be over here after the service. Love the opportunity to get acquainted. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your outrageous grace. You paid for our sins. You gave us forgiveness. You saved our soul. You adopted us into your family as one of your sons and daughters. May we learn, may we learn to give whatever we have to give from there. May the generosity that thrives in this church community be uncommon. I pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks everybody. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.